But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Thomas was not there. He was absent. Have you ever been absent when the family gathered or when the big thing happened? Thomas was not there. And because Thomas was not there, he missed out on the shared story. He hadn't felt the breath as Jesus blew upon them. He had not heard the word peace. He had not seen Jesus' hand in his side, and he had not been sent out with a word of forgiveness. Thomas was absent. Now, I have often wondered why, and John doesn't tell us, and this story doesn't even show up in any of the other Gospels. I didn't check the Gospel of Thomas, which is an apocryphal book that may say, but I don't know, because I didn't check. But I wonder, have you ever wondered? Thomas's absence reminds me, for instance, of my own impulse to hide when I am grieving or in pain. Perhaps Thomas absented himself that day because he didn't know how to bring his grief and doubts into the room. It's also perfectly possible that he had gone out in service to the group. Maybe he had been assigned to pick up the breakfast tacos <laughs> or coffee on one of those days when the line's really long and it takes forever to get the latte. Maybe cigarettes. You know, some people like to have a little something when they're stressed. Not so much today, but you know, in old movies, of course, people go out for cigarettes. But if not because he absented himself or because he was in service to the group, perhaps it was fear. You know the disciples were in danger, at least the way John tells the story. They were locked in the room for fear of their neighbors people that lived around them, those who had done this thing to Jesus. They were afraid. And maybe Thomas had been out in Jerusalem somewhere and couldn't get back quickly because he thought someone was following him and he might bring more danger to his friends. For whatever reason Thomas wasn't there, it's clear that his absence that evening became isolation. The kind of isolation where you're the only one standing in your space even when others are around you. When he heard the story, the shared story that the other ten were telling, when he heard the, the shared story, he said, I will not believe unless I 
experience it myself. And so Thomas stood alone. He stood alone in his grief and his inertia as the other disciples began their spirit-filled ministry. In our world, isolation has spread like a wildfire before gale force winds. Why? For some, it's what we might think of as choice, people who isolate themselves and because of some pain, because of disagreement, because of whatever it is that makes us stand alone, because they can't bear the pain that their pain causes other people. But isolation's also a result of tragedy and war. We see every week children separated from their parents on our border, on the border of Ukraine, Sudan, Somalia, Syria, the list goes on and on. Those tragedies that separate people from those they love, from those with whom they once made a home. There is the political upheaval and conflict that makes us isolated because we're not sure with whom we can share what we believe or what we wonder about, what we question. And then there's the isolation that comes of judgment for standing apart. The isolation that many in our communities feel because they are part of the LGBTQ community, because they're trans, because whatever it is, whatever it is, right? But many experience the isolation as a part of the same set of trauma things that Thomas might have felt, grief, isolation, inertia, the grief, the loss, the feeling that you can't connect outside of that, and then the inability to make a move, and there's isolation. Of course, the pandemic, which I haven't mentioned yet intentionally, right? Remember, some of you were here last year when we celebrated in the parking lot under the tent? which was lots of fun, but most of the pandemic has not been fun. Waves of isolation, especially for the grieving. A couple of weeks ago, Ed Young of the Atlantic wrote a story called The Final Pandemic Betrayal, in which he interviewed people who had lost loved ones to COVID over the past two years. He writes, in just two years, COVID has become the third most common cause of death in the US, which means that it is also the third leading cause of grief in the US. Each American who has died of COVID has left an average of nine close relatives bereaved, creating a community of grievers larger than the population of all but 11 states. Imagine a whole state full of people who have lost someone they love. 
but the community of grievers is fragmented and many feel especially alone in ways that aren't normal for most of our grief. Young continues, deaths from COVID have been unexpected, untimely, particularly painful, and in many cases preventable. <clears throat> the pandemic, <clears throat> The pandemic has replaced community with isolation, empathy with judgment, and opportunities for healing with relentless triggers. It has opened up private grief to public scrutiny, all while depriving grievers of the collective support they need to recover. Young goes on to point out that after collective tragedies, the rites and rituals of mourning are meant to bring groups back together we're seeing a process, he says, that's almost antithetical to that because mourning has been so fragmented and suspended. When experiencing the isolation, this kind of isolation after the loss of loved ones and the inability to grieve with community, the inability to connect with those who can be empathetic and share our pain, when experience this kind of isolation, humans lack the community in which life beyond loss emerges. When we're in that isolation of grief, that collective loss, we lack connections to the community from which new life emerges. These circumstances of COVID losses mean that incorporating the grief, finding support that brings healing, and encouragement to offer the losses and find directions for the living are all elusive. You see, those are the healthy patterns of grieving, aren't they? Incorporating the grief, like acknowledging it, like y'all have lost, if you haven't lost a loved one, you've lost time and experiences and a sense of safety, perhaps. We all have. We need to share those with one another because that's how we find the support that brings healing and the encouragement to honor those losses and find direction for the living of our lives. You see, when human beings experience profound loss, a circle of companions is often where new life emerges. It's together here with one another, especially when we can see and touch and be with one another, that Christ appears in our midst. Thomas, in his isolation, Thomas finds God reaching out to him. It first begins when his friends turn toward him and tell him the story. They share their shared experience as if he still belonged. And Thomas responds by coming back to be with them. Though he has refused to believe what they have told him, he shows up in the upper room the next week. Whatever kept him away last time, he made sure not to be gone this time and in that moment jesus appears again 
And Jesus reaches out his hands and he shows Thomas his side and he gives Thomas what he needs, which is life, resurrection life in that community of believers. There among his friends, Thomas sees Christ. And so Thomas finds connection, connection to his friends. He finds healing, healing for his wounds, healing for his grief, and he receives empowerment, empowerment for the living and the sharing of the ministry Jesus has given to his disciples. Connection, healing, empowerment. This scene embodies the line we heard from the book of Revelation today, where John of the, of the Revelation says that Christ creates a kingdom of priests to serve God. That's what Jesus is doing there, creating that kingdom of priests. That's what we're doing here together, adding to that kingdom of priests who serve God together in and through community. You see, the holy work of extending God's mercy and forgiveness goes beyond that circle of disciples. It goes beyond our circle here. It goes beyond all those who might be absent from us in isolation, whether that's physical isolation or just distance from communities where they once knew they belonged. It is our holy work to extend God's mercy and forgiveness and new life beyond our circle. In our world, a community that is infused with the presence of Christ bears witness to the fact that connection overcomes isolation. That individual and collective brokenness receives healing from God through God's love. And that in God's mercy and mission, empowerment comes from new life. The church, my friends, is a resurrection community. One of my bishops used to say regularly, a resurrection community is not a way to deny our losses. It is not a way to ignore the grief, isolation, and inertia, and the force of that that surrounds us so much of the time. But to say that the church is a resurrection community is to invite us to receive and share the life brought by Jesus, risen from the dead, to seek his living presence together, and to reach out when our friends or neighbors are missing. Remember what Thomas's friends did for him? They came and told him the shared story. And in their telling of the story, they encouraged the lost one to come home again. Let us, my friends, in these days when so many are feeling grief, isolation, inertia. Let us reach out with Christ's love so that we might celebrate Christ's gift of new life together. 
and share with the world the good news of his resurrection. Amen. Thank you.